The Start On Demand. On demand. provincial election wraps up and the federal election campaign begins. We had a shorter show today, Wednesday, to make way for a Global News Network special on the writ being dropped for the federal election. But that doesn't mean we still didn't have lots of stuff on the provincial election. We also visit with Hal Anderson to mark the 18th anniversary of 9-11. He was on the air over at Power 97 for the BJ and Hal show. Two Memphis students inspire the world with their touching story of stepping up to help a bullied classmate. And Apple unveils its iPhone 11, and many are underwhelmed. What do you wish your phone could do? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, September 11th podcast for The Start. The sky used to be dark, but the clouds will lift, perhaps not tomorrow or the day after, but they will lift, and there will be a new day, and it will be a brighter day, and it will be under a blue sky. And I say to you, because of your dedication and because of the values that Manitobans demonstrated today in choosing forward, the only thing better than today in Manitoba is going to be tomorrow in Manitoba. People of Manitoba have given us an awesome job. They have made us the official opposition. They have sought fit to give us an increased seat count in the legislature. And they have sent a clear message to Manitobans that the New Democratic Party is the progressive voice here in Manitoba. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, Along with Pallister and Canoe, <laughs> Manitoba election results. You guys I, did good last night. I hope they're sleeping, because I would be if given a choice this oh, morning. Oh, yeah. I can't help but wonder how Vince Lombardi would feel about Wob Canoe's concession speech. Well, that's no he, concession speech. He sounded, he sounded absolutely giddy mm-hmm. in defeat last night. 36 to 18. That's a football score. Uh, if you're on the 18 side of that uh, margin of loss, there's no celebration. As he said last night, it was funny. After he did his speech and he was joyful and there was lots of cheering and, and, and it was a party all night long. It's, it's, it's like another, I've never covered an election where the opposition party had that many people cheering and not anyone, no one crying. You know, there's usually someone in the corner who's tearful about something that went on. And no, they, they grew. They grew from 12 to 18. That's what they had before they went in. And, and as far as they're concerned, that's a win, a big win. As Canoe said last night, well, this is the biggest uh, number of seats I've ever been a part of. So <laughs> as far as, you know, like personally, he's never felt better. So, he's got six more friends at the ledge, right? So, so that was the odd part of what well, Canoe's speech. You were at the Met uh, for that, Loren. I was in the room at Polo Park, Canada Inns, when Brian Pallister started going off. He likes his analogies talking about the Manitoba bison and how the bison always faces its opponent head on. It never turns. It never falters. Uh, people weren't quite sure where that was going, but uh, it worked. It was a short speech. It was to the point. It was concise, which 
we're not really used to from Brian Pallister. I really got the sense that last night they were going to have a little bit of a celebration and kind of get back to work, maybe at some point today, and just carry on. We have a mandate, and we shall fulfill that mandate. Uh, thank you very much. We're just going to continue doing what we were doing. Well, the, and the work, in that sense, it's so much easier for them. It's not like when you elect a new government and everybody has to go through their orientation and figure out where the washrooms are, let alone how to balance the budget and do all those things and look at the books, right? They, they pretty much have the same team as they did before, save a few faces, and they move forward. Well, speaking of team, we got a text here from Lance last night who says, I'm impressed watching tonight's election results and the co-mingled global and CJOB coverage. All you OBers clean up well <laughs> for TV. I was one of the only ones not involved so that, to pave way the, the way for me to come in a, a touch early today. I think I got here at 323, and uh, I sat there waiting for Mackling, because I knew Mackling was somewhere in the wilderness, and I was waiting for McNabb, and finally you guys came on, like, close to 9 o'clock, I think, was the first time I saw you, Greg. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 8.45, I can't remember. But uh, And I also very much enjoyed the panel with Julie Buckingham and Hal Anderson, uh, Hal bringing his signature brand of humor into the discussion and humanizing it and making it relatable, along with uh, Dr. Uh, Shannon Sampert and Jenny Motkaluk. So, yeah, I thought it was uh, it was pretty smooth coverage overall. You guys, well done. Thank you. I managed to get a Blue Bomber segue into one of my hits. Uh, oh, you reminding... took a page out of Pallister's book, who likes to always have a, there's always a sports <laughs> well, that's, analogy, that's right? That's my yeah. thing, and uh, reminded folks that in 1990, uh, the PCs were elected to a, a majority government in an election that year. Also, the last time the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won the Grey Cup. Ooh. So maybe it's a predictor of sorts of things to come for the blue and gold. All of us and in this room and most of us, if not all of you listening right now, will remember where you were when the news of an airplane striking what was known as the North Tower of the World Trade Center started to spread. That was at 7.46 a.m. Central Time, September 11th, 2001. 17 minutes later, as millions were watching news programming discussing the possible scenarios surrounding the first strike... This happened. There is more and more fire and smoke enveloping the very top of the building. And as fire crews are descending on this area, it, it, it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet. Now remember, oh my God. Oh my God. That looks like a second plane. Just I didn't get... see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I, just saw another plane coming saw, in from the side. You did. I did that was out of absolute Yes, and that's view. the second explosion. You could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is oh, some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York. That was from Good Morning America, the voice of Charlie Gibson anchoring the coverage on ABC. And that reaction was the newsroom and you don't typically hear that, Loren McNabb. You've been in this business. You've been in the TV world for a long time. And that was as visceral a reaction as you'll ever hear uh, from people behind the scenes. I just think even to this day of all the scenarios you imagined, A, the plane flying into the building wasn't one of them, not intentionally. And then those buildings going down. And, and, uh, and then the worldwide ramifications of that in terms of airports closing and people wondering what was next and who was next and what was the next target and the, just the genuine fear. So you couldn't remove yourself from that story. 
You still can't. I, I hear that and I get chills. I, I was watching the video as I was pulling the audio to, to play it for you this morning. And it was just, it was like I was right back there. Where were you when you when you heard uh, about the, the first plane, Loren? I was home at my apartment just off Corridon. And I was heading into work for Global Winnipeg at the time. And then went, left much earlier because knowing that the, that would be the thing to talk about that day. And ended the day at the airport here where a bunch of flights had been diverted. And all these people got off the plane at the army base, not at 17 Wing, knowing that something had happened, but they had no clue. So there was all this frustration and, and anger. And then they see the images and then just a complete shift to, oh my God. Yeah. I worked for an airline uh, at that time. And uh, I was, I think I'd worked three to 11 or four to midnight the day before I worked in a call center. And my dad called me, I don't know, I think it was eight o'clock, eight fifteen, And he said, are you awake? And I said, no because I hadn't gotten to bed till like 2 or 3 in the morning. So he said, well, you might want to wake up and have a look at the TV. So I got up, and I turned the TV on for a while, and then I fell back asleep. Uh, and when I woke up, the towers had fallen. Oh, my word. So uh, I remember as well, do you remember the Free Press and the Winnipeg Sun both printed special afternoon editions that yep. day? They do. Yeah. yeah, which is was something that would have happened decades ago. You hadn't seen that here in, in years. Yeah, I can remember my baby sister calling me from high school asking if I could come and pick her up non, not long after the second plane struck the south tower. She was in tears and, you know, at a certain age, uh, she's living in Boise, Vane, which is where I was, not far from Minot, North Dakota. And you start thinking about, you know, nuclear war possibilities. That's what people were playing out in their head. And, and was this a, a going to be a, a, a global war of some sort? If you were born and of a certain age, you will have your memories of this day 18 years ago today etched in your brain without question. What if you weren't born yet? I was like seven or eight years old when I started learning about September 11th. I thought that it was really sad that someone would want to hurt that many people. And I was wondering why they would want to do that and how much it changed America. I can't even believe what it looked like and I was there. I think it's very important to be educated about these things. It helps maybe to hear a personal story from somebody who was there. Kind of easier to get your head wrapped around the enormity of it. All kids should learn about this. I'm trying to make the Twin Towers, all the surrounding buildings. History is not only what's in the past, it brings you to what America is today. That is a clip of what happened on September 11, debuting on HBO Tonight, which looks at how 9-11 is being taught and explained today. The provincial election just wrapped up. And now the federal election campaign is kicking off. Are you excited for another election? Your options are, yeah, I'm a political junkie. Yes, it's time for a change. Not another election. Or I don't care. Uh, Yesterday's results, by the way, will you be voting today in the provincial election? 47%, this was close, 47% said I voted in advance. 43% said yes. 6% said no. 4% said I'll decline my vote. So cast your vote at cjob.com. That's pretty darn close to the voter turnout last night, which was just shy of 50% or hovered around 50%. So I think think we're going with 51 is what Jeff was saying. Rounding up, though, that's the scary part is you have to round up. Up a scary, to get 51. scarier part was uh, you saying this morning that's better than you expected, which in the sense of 
We thought it might be under 50%, which is even sadder to say, woo, half of you care. Yeah, well, you know, celebrating victory uh, in the face of defeat, uh, as it felt as a Wab canoe was doing yesterday. And then the Palster now, government reelected uh, celebrating victory when only half the people in the province actually bothered to show up to vote. Uh, that's got to be somewhat disheartening. But as Julie Buckingham said in our coverage last night, a win is a win is a win. And that's how they're selling it. And and there's like two parties celebrating it as a win last night. And that's not surprising. Uh, the Tories finished with 36 seats, the NDP 18, and the Liberals 3. And with those numbers, even though you had a losing party, like I said, two were celebrating last night at the NDP headquarters, mostly cheers, where the party went from 12 seats it had when the election was called to 18. Here's an election recap. As in every election, Manitobans had a chance to make a decision. They made a choice. Vous avez fait votre choix. Not backward. Forward. Forward to better care and sooner. Forward to new schools for our children and grandchildren. Forward to a stronger economy for all of us. And forward to more affordability for families with lower taxes and more money right on the kitchen tables of Manitoba families. Like the Manitoba bison that is in our logo and that inspires us, we are accepting of those challenges. The Manitoba bison, unlike most species, when faced with a challenge, always turns and faces toward it. And we did that, and we've done that, and we've done it with focus. We face our challenges together. Manitobans do that, and today and tonight, they said they appreciated the fact that we fixed the finances and we're repairing the services and we're rebuilding the economy. How do you do? I'm Wap Canoe, and I'm feeling pretty good tonight. I was, uh, you know, very inspired by the showing we had this time around, but uh, Manitobans chose to give him a second mandate, and so I congratulated him. Uh, you know, humble in victory, humble in defeat. That's my goal. But I don't think we were defeated tonight. I think Manitobans sent a very, very strong message. And the seats that we took back made it very clear that Manitobans want us, the new Democrats, to not only be the conscience of Manitoba, not only to be the opposition of Manitoba, but to be the progressive voice. There will be tough times ahead. You know, Mr. Pallister called this election early because the full impact of his cuts to health care have not yet been felt. And so we will be there each and every day holding him accountable and asking him to do better when it comes to health care because the seat pickups we gained tonight show Manitobans want much, much better from their health care system. And there are no easy campaigns. Uh, we set out to run a, a positive campaign based ideas and clearly that was our first mistake. That was Dougal Lamont, Liberal Party leader at the end. And I would say they're the only ones who weren't really celebrating last night True. because they lost official party status by losing that one seat in northern Manitoba. Um, and so that what does that mean for them? Well, it means they go by, they lose, they lose certain amount of funding. It means they have different status in the legislature when it comes to asking questions. So it's a, it's a, four to three doesn't sound like 
a lot, but it's a huge deal for them. So that's where I think a hit will, would be felt if you were counting them this morning. If the, uh, if the PCs lost 25% of their seats, they, they wouldn't be in government today. No, so No, exactly. And so when you look at it like a percentage, which again is why the NDP were celebrating last night. So you have to remind folks that they went from 12 to 18. They had 14 in the, at 2016, but they dropped a few seats uh when the writ was called just at that time. And so that's why they were cheering last night. NDP leader Wab Canoe actually acknowledging that they now have almost twice as many new faces as they do mm-hmm. veterans, new rookies versus veterans, which could be good. Uh, the Tories also elected a handful of new names, although Canoe also couldn't resist reverting to an old barb last night. So just a few minutes ago, I called uh, Brian Pallister to congratulate him on his victory tonight. It was a local call. Zing! Because Costa Rica. Because Costa Rica. And you know, I do that. We gotta get that hashtag trending. Hashtag because Costa Rica. Yeah. Because it's 2015. Um, There was all sorts of, uh, I tweeted that out last night, and there was all sorts of responses to it, like yours, Brett, like zing or laughing, smiling faces. And there was also a few people saying, like, get over it. Are we we gonna move on here? Yeah, it's time to move on. If the goal is to have these fresh phrases faces let's have a fresh conversation right no question but there are going to be lots of things you mentioned earlier they're going to have to move on they're going to get to work right away mm-hmm. and so they got an election or education review rather that they're doing they've got health care that they're worried about uh and so we're going to have a conversation with the nurses union at 7:45 because now with the city issues have been and i'm putting in quotes dealt with in the sense of what's the future of the ERs. Now there's a question about rural ERs. No question. And this education review, the pledge to remove property, the education levy on the property tax, a big issue. And then the question I think a lot of people still have on their mind, despite the uh, pledge by the premier in his conversation with Richard Cloutier, whether or not he will in fact serve his entire term as premier, as they get a new four year mandate really quick. I went on the, uh, I went on the Google machine to find out a little bit more about bison defense systems in the wild. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Premier Pallister did his homework. What, do you think he wasn't going to make that up? Uh, oh, no, I knew he didn't make it up. <laughs> bison this, defense systems. Bison defense systems. When bison sense danger, they will face it. They may run toward the threat. Bison have ways of protecting themselves. In the grasslands, there is nowhere to hide. <laughs> So it's wow. a good announcement. So I quickly, I was driving through South Africa with my sister ages ago. I'm not going to say how long ago. And uh, we were in a saf- safari area and ran into a water buffalo in our car. And it turned. It was inside your car? Yeah, or it was you in, in our car. car. We were in the car. So we're in the car. The water buffalo is on the street. It turns and charges on us at this dirt road. And we had to kick it into reverse in this Peugeot, just gunning it backwards <laughs> down the road. The buffalo. Yeah, kept coming. It kept coming. Yeah, baby. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Fortier is here. Here's one headline on the subject of the Apple iPhone 11, which was revealed yesterday. Apple launch fails to dazzle with solid copies of rival players. And it goes on. this article goes on to say, Australian experts had earlier predicted that its crucial phone features announcement would underwhelm in comparison to recent advances by rivals like Huawei, Samsung, and Google. And on Wednesday, said fans would be disappointed by the lack of anything genuinely new two years after Apple launched the iPhone X. What else can it possibly do? Yeah. I'm That's a- the question I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm still impressed with my phone, and it's like uh, iPhone 
five or I don't know what it is. Why don't they get just get rid of the phone moniker altogether? It's not a phone. It's a computer. So then why launch Apple 11 if you really don't have anything new from 10? I agree with Kelly Moore. What? Really well, scary. Yeah. So it's just like cars. You just got to put it on a new model every year no matter what. Well, yeah. here's okay. one of the things that they did. Uh, they've got, now got three cameras on the back. Ooh. And actually, there's a. Uh, I just saw a funny tweet on this. People with fear of small holes claim design of Apple's iPhone 11 <laughs> Pro minute. triggers their phobia. It's something called tri- tripophobia. <laughs> Because they've got three cameras in the back, uh, so I guess people with tripophobia are complaining about the phone because of that. But that is one of the things that they changed. They now have, it's like a like a super telephoto lens, they've got the regular lens, and then an ultra-wide angle lens. And the uh, phone's been doing that now for three, four years, so Apple finally getting on that train. Yeah, the, the biggest thing I noticed when I got my 10 was the portrait ability right where you can zoom in and it blurs the background on your pictures that's a really neat feature but other than that i don't know if my iphone 10 does much more than my 7 did. what's what's the battery life on your 10 or your 11 uh, or your you know 7 what the battery life has changed dramatically i was on my yeah. phone all night last night didn't have to recharge it at all so because yeah, i don't know what my issue is to the station i'm probably on a four or five or something like mm-hmm. that but uh <laughs> Yeah, every time I see that uh, that commercial, I'm dying, I'm dying. Yeah, I, well, yesterday, part of the problem I had at the polling stations with getting in touch with you guys wasn't just the Wi-Fi sing- signal or the cell signal, rather. It was the my battery life went from 34% to zero in minutes, yeah. minutes. Because and you figured that was because of the cold. Yeah, like I, I find that my phone's older, so the cold, so I still think they, I, I don't know what the newer versions, my, I think it's a six at best, yeah, what I, I have. I don't want to be too inside baseball here, but through with our company, yeah. uh, we use a, a, a communications uh, system called Slack, and I have found that when I'm on Slack, my battery life just goes Oh, so really? Brutal. Yeah, I don't know if that has something to do with it. That's interesting. And yeah. it, with the cold as well, Loren, the same yeah. thing with my previous phone. I had an LG G6, and if it was even like 5 degrees, 10 de- or under 5 degrees, uh, if I pulled it out for too long, it would die no matter what my battery yeah, life was. it could be was. 90% yeah. and it would be gone. Because so, all these phones have glass backs now, so there's nothing to insulate the battery. So that would be a thing for me if, if the battery life is good, but it's is it still yeah. tested in some of those colder climates? I don't know. I'd like I'd like to go back to the flip phone. I'd like to just get rid of this phone <laughs> and have people just, you have to call me. That's the only thing that's the choice. Or T9 text you. T9 text me. Talking to people on the phone? No thanks. Well, then fine. They can leave a voicemail and you decide whether to call back or not. There, there are so many days where, yes, like you're, you think your phone's amazing and could it do more? I guess it is a computer to your point. It's not a phone anymore, but it's just so overwhelming and ridiculous now. And everybody's on them because of all the things they can do. I, part of me thinks, let's just. Let's just go back. Kevin, the garbage man, has a suggestion here that I bet Jeff Braun would like. <laughs> Kevin says, I wish I could turn my cell into a taser sometimes. <laughs> that would be handy sometimes, wouldn't it? <laughs> Get away from me, salesman. Or, or, that, or that it would just grow into a giant box that would envelop you and you could just like, no one could get it. I want a built-in Roomba in my phone. So I'd be able to just drop down my phone and vacuum up my, my, like my car a little bit. He put his iPod on the Roomba, DJ Roomba. 
Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's been done, Greg. You can do it. Well, let us know. What would you like your phone to do that it doesn't do already? Whether it's a funny suggestion or something actually practical like McNabb saying, battery life reliability would be great because I like to go for walks in the winter, but I had, and I like to listen to music, so I have to put my phone in my hand inside my mitt with one of those like those hot pocket things. That's the next product oh. for Apple. What's it, that? A, a scarf for your phone. Scarf it's a for hot your phone. Yeah, hey, you can actually buy those. I'm sure you can. Oh, if geez. there's a coat for your dog, there's got to be a coat for your phone. They look at that and they go, "There's only." Four or five million people stupid enough to live in a climate where you need that. They're not making that. Now, this will never go over well in the Asian market. Forget it. Greg found this on Twitter. North End Rick tweeting something out from Memphis. Yeah, the legendary North End Rick on Twitter. Uh, Usually tweets about hockey and football. But this was just a, a great story that got my attention this morning, I know going back to school can be so stressful for so many kids, and it sure doesn't help if you haven't got a change of clothes. Yeah. And this story tells you how two people, instead of piling on to a kid that was getting bullied and getting made fun of, did something about it. Awesome. The best day of my entire life was basically. Freshman Michael Todd was taken out of third period at MLK Prep Monday morning. I was very happy. I shocked completely. He froze when football players Christopher Graham and Antoine Garrett handed him a gift. You guys are awesome. A gift that changed Michael's entire school year. Bags full of shirts, shorts, shoes, and more. He went smile, and I was like, yeah, I think this is going to make him smile. I told him, I said, you know, when we was in the same third period, he was like, yeah, I said, I apologize for laughing at you, and I want to give some to you to make it up. Michael was getting made fun of for three straight weeks at his new school. I've been bullied my entire life. He would wear the same clothes every day, and students at MLK Prep would mock him for it. I don't really have clothes at home. My mom can't buy clothes for me because I'm growing too fast. When I saw people laugh at him and bully him, I felt like I needed to do something. So Christopher went through his closet and grabbed a bunch of clothes and texted his friend Antoine for help. I got some shoes, some brand new shoes I can give him, and I got a couple items I can give him too. They packed all that up and gave it to Michael. The shorts, the pants, the shoes made a difference. This is like the second shoes I have on right now. Basically, that's all. Today, Michael was already wearing those new army green sneakers they gave him. It was a weak moment for me. I was going to cry. And then I don't cry when at lunch he told me, he was like, you know, you two the only two that actually ever give me a gift. The help isn't stopping in the halls of MLK Prep. People from states away have seen the video and want to send Michael clothes. All this is thanks to two high school students who want to put a stop to bullying. You guys are the best guys of my entire life. In Frazier, Alexa Lorenzo, Fox 13 News. Great story. Thanks for finding this, Greg. You know what? Uh, on a day when we could have been bogged down in all sorts of election conversation, I, I thought it would be uh, neat to uh, just uh, take a sidetrack a little bit and and hopefully inspire some people to, to view situations a little bit differently. And what a lesson for all of us there in the sense of those little things, like the fact that you don't have... The change of clothes and not having a lot of options is one thing, but we all know the struggle and can relate to the struggle to have the cool things when you're in school or raising your kids and they want to have the certain kind of sneakers or the certain kind of tops or, you know, in our days it might have been Club Monaco or whatever it was. And those things are expensive. And so you're raising your kids to be kind and you hope to be kind to others. But within all that, there's all these other pressures. And so to hear them react that way to help them out. 
rather than pile on what is an unnecessary to bully someone for their clothes. I mean, I just I have no words for that, but we know it happens. I remember in grade seven, actually, we had new kids come in grade seven and grade eight and kids being kids. Uh, my my year in particular, we were a nightmare. The The class of 90, 1995, we were a nightmare. And uh, in grade seven, we got this new kid in and everyone made fun of him. Don't know why. But uh, he was in my class, so I decided to to befriend him. He needed at least one friend, and it seemed to to work out. And we were buds for a couple of years until he moved away. And then the same thing the next year. We got a new kid in our class, and everyone made fun of him. And I don't, I never understood that instinct to just make fun of someone because they're new. It's what you don't know. Everybody's afraid of what they don't know at some basic instinctual level, and so then you start targeting someone based on that, right? And when someone doesn't, you know, look like you or fit what you think is good or bad or cool, that's where the problems begin. Oh, I can remember moving to Brandon in grade four. I was the city kid. I was the Winnipeg kid. Mm-hmm. I was I was target. Mm-hmm. I was uh, public enemy number one. But, uh, you know, kids get this stuff. When we were in California, we had a hot dog on the Santa Monica Pier our second last night in California. And there was a young man by the name of Jamal sitting at a picnic table and he was down and out. But he offered us a spot at this picnic table. So we sat down with our fries and our hot dogs and they were really good. And I could hear him kind of just say, you know, I'm just kind of hoping I could get something to eat. So we all kind of just pooled our resources and everybody shared some of their hot dog and he basically broke bread with us. We had French fries and hot dogs and drinks and talked a little bit about his meth addiction and living on the streets of Los Angeles, the fact that he was from Atlanta. I'm only telling you this because we were walking back to the car and uh, one of my boys said to me, dad, we did the right thing because it would have been really easy just to ignore him and not to look at him and not engage with him. Mm-hmm. The, the, these kids, kids get it. Kids could have also said to themselves, "Well, at least I'm not the one bullying, right? So I'm not contributing to the problem." Well, they're working to fix the problem. Yeah, and you know what they say? That, that's the message to kids now. If you don't say something, if you don't step in, you are uh, you are complicit in that bullying. And I think it's a good message. And hopefully, kids are are, are getting that message. If you want to see that story, see the video that accompanies the audio so you can see the kids involved in this story, go to the 680CJOB Instagram story. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. We would love to see you follow us there. And we've linked that story where you can see the video and read more details from Fox 13 in Memphis, Tennessee. Loren McNabb, the work begins almost immediately for Brian Pallister and his team. Which means voters now get to try and hold the Conservatives to the promises they made on the campaign trail and some of them they made before, like a review of the education system. It's underway and it could come with some sort of recommendations to reduce the number of school divisions in this province. We don't know when that report will be in, but with the election of two former school trustees last night, one indicator could be whether Brian Pallister calls a by-election for trustee in those writings soon or whether he puts that by-election on hold. And just as with health care, I think that, uh, uh, you know, standing pat or going backwards is hardly the answer. Manitoba children deserve better than 10th out of 10 in all uh, comparable measurements uh, on outcomes. So... Uh, review is underway and uh, will proceed. 
So education, obviously a big file we'll be watching for. It's also one he will be repeatedly asked about, I'm sure, in the days ahead. And of course, healthcare. You heard his comparison between education and healthcare there about the need for change. Well, part of that change is the question of when reforms to healthcare will come to rural Manitoba, with some critics actually speculating that Pallister didn't want to make any of those changes or announcements until after he was re-elected. Darlene Jackson is the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union and joins us now for her thoughts. Good morning, Darlene. Good morning. So we know we're going forward now with changes. Uh, we won't be going back. What are you watching specifically for next? Well, you know, first I want to um, I want to congratulate Premier Pallister and I want to thank every um, everyone that stepped forward and put their name forward to run in this election. It was a really important election for healthcare. That was the main issue. And I really hope that Premier Pallister understands that um, that our vo- the voters in this uh, in this province really believe healthcare is a key um, is a, of key importance. And yes, we understand that there are changes uh, going to happen in rural Manitoba. But once again, I really hope that over this next uh, four years, uh, we can work collaboratively with uh, with uh, this government to ensure that healthcare changes are made in a timely fashion and that nurses and other um, healthcare professionals are listened to. Darlene, you mentioned rural Manitoba specifically in that last statement. And I know that amongst ourselves, we've been discussing that that's where we anticipate the next round of changes to come. I don't know if we've necessarily heard that out loud from the government. Is that what you are anticipating? And what do you think those are going to look like? Well, we've seen some incredibly drastic changes uh, within the city. And, uh, and, you know, um, nurses have spoken out loudly over the last three years about their workload increasing, um, you know, the the fact that... uh, Providing safe patient care, the ability to provide safe patient care has been affected. We've all heard about the amount of overtime, both forced and voluntary, that's going on. And yes, I I do believe that there are um, going to be changes in the rural areas. And I really, really hope that this government looks at what's happened in Winnipeg and what um, nurses have been speaking about for the last three years and doesn't continue that pattern in rural Manitoba. Um, I think that if there are going to be changes, it has to be with consultation with the public and with consultation with healthcare workers in those areas. Darlene, no question, healthcare is of paramount concern for Manitobans, but it's not necessarily because they didn't like the changes that have occurred in Winnipeg. There's been just as many who may have voted because they want to see some sort of reform because they weren't happy with the way things are running. Can we accept that as part of the narrative now, considering last night's vote and move forward in a different way? Well, I I think that, yes, you're right. There are some Manitobans that want to change and change is not um, change is not always a bad thing. Uh, Change can be very uh, positive, but it has to be done uh, collaboratively, um, you, I believe that if you're not dealing with an entire team, if you're not listening to the concerns of the entire team, then change is not done effectively. There also has to be some some measure of um, of timeliness when you're making change, uh, making a plan and rushing forward into it without laying groundwork and without ensuring your infrastructure is is stable does not um, make for good change. 
I think we heard the premier, uh, now the premier reelect, suggest that maybe if he could go back, he would readjust some of the timelines of how things have gone. And maybe that, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but maybe that includes seeing St. Boniface Hospital ER rebuilt before the other changes were made. Is there one thing, and I hate to ask you to do that, but is there one thing that, that you would change in the sequence of events that might have made things more palatable for you and your members, Darlene? Well, I, I think that the one thing that would have been um, acceptable was to roll the entire plan out um, in front of the public and say, this is our plan and this is how we intend to get to it with milestones that we, we must beat in order for the plan to be successful. And that did not happen. Much of the plan was um, laid out um, and then moved forward. The change was made and then another change was made. I think that it's, it's, it's all about the timeliness. It's all about ensuring that, that, that the milestones are been met along the way, and if they're not been met, then the plan has to stop until the system can catch up to it. Darlene Jackson is the president of the Manitoba Nurses Union, joining us live on CJOB. Darlene, thank you very much for this. Thank you. Lorraine McNabb, a growing number of Manitobans work in Winnipeg, but live outside the perimeter. Story I can relate to. I'm one of them. And of course, we're talking about some of those bedroom communities like Stonewall, where the population has doubled. Oak Bank almost doubled. Niverville, Ile de Chain, Santa Gas, Santa Dolph, all seeing a huge spike in new homes and new families who, again, live and work in Winnipeg, but might call another community home. But with that growth, there's the question about, have we seen an equal rise in businesses or shops in those areas? What's happening with the local economy? That's a question we're posing to our next guests, who later today will announce how they hope to grow their economy in their area. We're talking about the RM of Richot, home to St. Adolph, and Chris Utlin is its mayor. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you guys? We're really well. I pass through uh, St. Adolph every morning. Lots of new homes going up there. But that is the question. Have you seen a growth of the economy and businesses coming to that area as well with the growth in people? You know, one thing uh, that I always look for is that balance between commercial and residential. And we're very fortunate that we have uh, three industrial or commercial parks. So we are seeing the growth happening. um, But I would like to see it a lot quicker and a lot more sustainably. What is the attraction, Chris, of setting up shop in your neck of the woods? The attraction really is for um, places like St. Agath. We have a lot of space. We have the, the acres for those larger industries like the Viteras or Hemp Oil Canada's to come in there, grab a few acres and develop and grow over time as well. So that's the really nice feature. And the other um, feature that we have is Grand Point, which is literally five minutes from Winnipeg. So people can drive to work and drive right back home and be there within 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes. So what are you looking to do, though? What, you, you're talking about what's there. How would you like to see growth happen? What's missing to make those better thriving communities? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that council has been looking at over the last few months is a business incentive bylaw. So with that bylaw, we have created and passed it as of two weeks ago now. Um, We are getting uh, essentially a 100% tax rebate for any new business or current business that improves or increases their assessment value. So if they're adding a new building, if they're building a brand new business from scratch on a commercial property, as long as the assessment value goes up, they're going to get a tax rebate uh, for up to five years, 
starting with 100% off on the municipal taxes, all the way down to 10% off by year five. So it's something pretty uh, new to Manitoba. We've seen other business incentives like this. Um, This one's a little bit more uh, specific in that there's really no minimum and it lasts for up to five years and it's ongoing for the rest of the time until one council believes it's not ideal anymore. But what's the argument against this? I can see people saying, well, what, why do you need to incentivize a business that's that's already set up and, and obviously planning to grow in your community? Or are you just not giving money away at that point? You know, so the argument for me is we want to see more employment opportunities. Right now we look at uh, St. Agath, a, a town of maybe 700 people, and they currently employ 100 positions in Manitoba. So we want to see more employment opportunities bringing in that more, uh, that residential growth, which creates healthier and happier communities. So that's my argument against that. Um, But we also wanted to give the current businesses an opportunity to grow as well and not feel left out. We're always looking at how do we get more? How do we get more? How do we get new businesses? I want to really look at with our council, you know, how can we keep the businesses that are here attracted to Richot? And I think this is one of the ways to do it. One of the challenges, I think, and you'll hear it from people who live in various bedroom communities, is that they choose to live there because of the housing prices or, you know, quieter environment or other. But at the end of the day, they find themselves in Winnipeg all the time because there's no place to shop or there's no grocery store. or There might not even be a gas station. Are you talking industry there? Are we looking as small as the mom and pop shop that might have, you know, a small grocery you know what, I, we're looking at, uh, you know, all of the above, really. Um, I, th- I think it comes in stages. We really do have to get uh, the residents here first, and then we start looking at that uh, that high commercial industrial, and then we start seeing those mom and pops or those grocery stores. Um, but you really need the big industrial players first before you can start growing a full uh, community with the smaller stores that people really desperately want in smaller communities. Chris, I always found it ironic. Uh, both my parents owned small businesses and ran uh, uh, restaurant-like operations in small towns in Manitoba over the years. And their biggest issue was always not how much business they were generating, how many employees and dependable employees they could hire and retain. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that was a struggle for me. I, I've had uh, a couple coffee shops and trying to find the employees to stay. Um, it's either a summer position for them. They're going back to school. Uh, you know, we can't find anyone that wants to stay around town to work. Uh, that's that's a difficult thing. And I think with that industrial park uh, in St. Agathe or Grand, uh, Grand Point and now Ilda Shane's building a commercial development, I think when you have... Um, employment opportunities that are above that, you know, 30000 a year plus, uh, they, they feel uh, it's, it's a bit more of a competition. And I believe with this business incentive bylaw, we'll start seeing uh, bigger businesses and commercials and uh, commercial and industrial companies coming in here with more employment opportunities. Chris Ewan, Mayor of the Municipality of Richot, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you very much, everyone. One of the big platforms in this election was the idea of moving Manitoba forward economically. And so we want to talk to Lauren Remillard of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, who uh, was stood up by the premier, I guess you could stay, uh, as the uh, leaders debate did not go as had been um, tradition, shall we say, Lauren. But we're moving on from that. And uh, we wake up this morning with a a government who has a fresh four-year mandate what does that mean for businesses in Winnipeg? Because we've 
spoken for so long, and, and the Premier in opposition always said we had to get to lower deficits, we had to get lower taxes, and that would help drive the economy in Manitoba. Are we seeing the benefits of these policies and and the, the implication of such, or implementation rather, uh, of these new policies uh, by our government? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, you know, business in Winnipeg in particular, uh, the election last night was a validation by Manitobans for the government to stay the course. They like the direction the province is moving. They feel confident uh, as it relates to the changes that are being made to propel economic growth. Uh, and for business, certainty is king. So to be able to know over the next four years the direction the province was heading on will continue. And that, and that gives business insurance to be able to make investments and to see the, the direction and the end game. So definitely uh, pleased uh, that the economy was the focus, that it was top of mind for the electorate. And um, generally, the results were not surprising. There's been some a lot of squabbling, though, over the last couple of years between the province and the city. Are you hoping that that can get pushed aside so that, uh, like, is there, I guess, is there a harmful impact on business when the two are not getting along? Well, I think for business, any time, uh, the ideal is you have all levels of government working together on a common agenda, uh, identifying areas where they can collaborate, leverage their resources for maximum impact. That's always the ideal. But even if you had all three levels of government being from the same political party, there's going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be differences of ideas of best approaches. That's just human nature. And at the end of the day, we, we elect people to do what's in the best interests of our communities. And we have full confidence that uh, moving forward, our municipal governments, our provincial government and our federal government will continue to work in that regard. There will always be flare ups. Uh, that historically we've seen that and uh, it'll be the same going forward. But generally, uh, we're confident that we'll be able to work together. One of the things I know that was being requested by the Chamber of Commerce and others within the business community, though, as much as you want to see the government talk about economy, what you weren't hearing was a plan to do a review of the tax system and to address other concerns that are out there. So where, where are you with that? And what's the one thing you would like to see addressed that hasn't been in the three and a half years they've already had in government? Well, definitely the Tax Reform Commission is something that uh, the Chamber would have loved to have seen in a political party's platform. Uh, We will continue to press the provincial government on the need to do that. We were pleased, of course, to see the education reform, uh, tax reform pledged by the uh, now-elected government, and uh, we'll continue to work with them to see that come to fruition. Uh, But we will definitely be pushing the Tax Reform Commission. The other issue that is top of mind for business is access to capital. Uh, We have a number of great companies here in this province, in the city, and they are finding it extremely difficult to find that needed growth capital for them to invest into their business to create the jobs that will drive government revenue. So that's one thing we did not hear extensive discussion during this campaign and one that we hope to be able to address with the government moving forward. And that's part of the vision uh, conversation that I think is lacking. It it felt at times, uh, Lauren, that that we were still stuck in the 80s and the 90s talking about healthcare predominantly and, well, we're going to fix healthcare. No, you're not. We can and we will and and that back and forth. But this whole idea of school tax levy on property tax, I know it's a big issue for uh, parents 
parents who are concerned about how will education be funded if this comes to fruition uh, as, a, as a property owner. I've been in favor of this for an awfully long time, not because I don't want to pay for education, but because I think the way it's done needs to, to change. What are the implications for businesses? Is there one? Well, definitely. Uh, anytime you're changing something as significant of it, uh, as realty taxes, education taxes, uh, there's going to be you know system wide change, and that's going to have implications. But fundamentally, I think for business, um, getting a tax system that makes more sense, that's simpler, that's comprehensive, that's fair. I mean, these are the fundamental principles of an effective tax system. So business wants to see that, and I think the pledge by uh, uh, the, the new government to go in that direction is fantastic. It's something business is going to embrace and because it's going to help improve our tax system. We need to go farther though. There are a number of different taxes, a number of tax credits that have been patchworked over the years. It's time we step back, wipe the slate clean and say, this is 2019. Uh, A lot has changed. We don't have phones that stick to the walls anymore with cords. We need a modern tax system that reflects the changing economy and the changing communities and and the needs of government. So um, definitely, this uh, I think we're heading in the right direction, and uh, we hope to see more announcements around uh, what we're going to be doing for our tax system that will encourage investment and actually drive the vision of economic prosperity even more so. Lauren Remillard, President and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, joining us live on The Start. Lauren, thank you as always. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and the 34th greatest panelist of all time. Thank you. After watching yes. the coverage last oh, night. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was great. I'll, I'll tell you, Shannon Sampert last night and, and Jenny Muckalak and Julie Buckingham, great. It was wonderful working with them. Yeah. yeah. Normally we like to have some fun with Hal, but we brought Hal on to talk about something serious, something important, an anniversary we're marking today. Oh, my God. Oh. The next building There's is another one. Up. Oh, my God. Oh my God! Another plane just flew in. The explosion is incredible! Oh my God! Big explosion happened. Some guy came out. His skin was all off. I helped him out. This is him all over. There's people jumping out of windows. I've seen at least 14 people jumping out of windows. This was unprecedented for people watching at home, Hal. And uh, I'm getting teary-eyed just remembering how I felt watching it. What was it like to be? on the air as the images started to to flood in to your studio? Well, I was doing, uh, you know, on, on Power 97, doing the BJ and Hal morning show, and I think it was around 8 o'clock when we heard of the first plane hitting one of the towers. And you think, oh, it's an accident, or you're not, you're not sure what to make of it, right? And then you hear about the second, and then you start doing what everybody else is doing, start putting things together and going, wow, this is... So we then, I think, flipped on CNN or, or whatever it was, you know, and followed along the events as they happen along with everybody else. And we're doing a rock morning show, which typically is a, you know, we're having fun and playing rock and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, I remember even during the show, I heard Loren get choked up earlier. It's an emotional because we, we all, you know, think of all the people that lost their lives in that. And I can remember phoning my mom and wanting to make sure she was okay. 
as we watched what was happening, it was horrifying. And and here we are 18 years later, and it's just as, it, it at least on a day like today, it feels just as raw that all those people lost their lives. And I was calling people all over North America. Yeah. Any of my friends, I had just been in the United States for three weeks and saw, uh, I'd seen a bunch of my friends that, that uh, were kind enough to staying at their houses and uh, having dinner with them. And, and that's all I could think about was, is, is Rick okay? Is, is this guy okay? And yeah. you, you captured that, yeah. that perfectly. And so, and then the show was different, right? For a mm-hmm. while. I don't know. I don't even remember how long, but it was just different. You know, I mean, comedians, Talk show hosts all sure. talked about it, right? Life was different it for was. a while, and absolutely. I, and I, and it's one of those things too. When you look back of, of these defining moments, and people, when I was younger, someone would say the phrase, "Well, nothing was ever the same after that," and right. you, you couldn't relate to it. And then nine eleven happened, yeah. and you can look back mm-hmm. and say, "You're right. Like nothing, life has changed dramatically. Not, you know, borders and flying yeah. and security and all those kinds of things." But I think the emotion you just shared, Hal, is the biggest one. Yeah. It's how we feel about when something happens so far away, but with the realization that could be you or me or your mom or your dad or yeah. your brother at work. Yeah. And I think it was it, it was hard for me because I wanted to be near my mom and near family that wasn't here. That, w- that was the hardest part for me. Yeah. But you know what? Listen, <clears throat> it's important, I think, that we remember this day at least one day every year. Um because Canadians were impacted, Canadians died, uh, Canadians came to the aid of Americans, um, you know, and, and uh, I apologize. I'm a crier, and probably, you know, a 17-hour day yesterday doesn't help with my emotions today. But I don't think there's anything wrong with showing emotion and, and caring about people, and, and especially when so many people lost their lives in such a senseless act. 15 airplanes full of people in Winnipeg, yep. 7,000. We know the story of Gander, what came to be known as Operation Yellow Ribbon and the incredible work that happened all across Canada to accommodate people that were on those aircraft that were grounded, weren't allowed to land in the United States. Yeah. They had to land somewhere else. So there are some incredibly powerful stories on the good end yeah. uh, that came out of 9-11 and, and Canada did itself incredibly proud that day. Hal, are you doing Hal at High Noon today? Hal at High Noon, Facebook Live. Check it out, all five of you. <laughs> Maybe doing? six. Let's go. Yeah, let's, well, let's, we're shooting for 10. We're going for double digits. Oh, That's what we're hoping let's for. Let's get that yeah. double digits. I was impressed the boss was watching the other day. I was kind of slamming the boss on Facebook Live, and he walks around the corner. There he was, oh watching. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.